All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our session on bringing the community into the classroom. I'm Wes Fryer, and I'm thrilled to be presenting with Ben Gray today. Um, as way of introduction, I um, wear different hats. It's been interesting as my wife has tried to tell people, what does Wes do? So I've been a pre-service teacher educator now for a number of years. Probably the most important news about me is I'm defending my dissertation proposal on May the 16th, and I'm going to get that finished this summer. So I've worked as a classroom teacher for a number of years and really feel passionate about opening up more robust windows into the learning that takes place in the classroom, but doing that in a way that avoids explosions and bad experiences for people because when it comes to social media and interactive media, that is a fear that we have, and it's a very real fear because we don't have to go very far on YouTube to see lots of examples of, of, uh, of poor digital citizenship. Let's just put it that way. So there's a couple ways to find links to these resources. I'll go ahead today and post uh, these slides as a link here on talkwithmedia.com, which is a website that I've set up for a book that I'm working on in advance of our International Society for Technology and Education conference at the end of June that will be in Philadelphia. Um, in addition, I've got a link that uh, to my wiki, and if you go to wiki.westfriar.com, um, you can link to this session, uh, which I've titled Share Your Ideas, Platforms for Publishing. I need to put the entry in for today for uh, our title. But I mentioned earlier, uh, and here's our format. I'm going to share for about 20 minutes talking about the classroom level and showing you specific examples of classroom teachers at the elementary, at the middle school, at the high school level who are bringing the community into the classroom, who are sharing their student work, sharing their ideas, and some of the platforms that they're using. Ben then is going to take it at the district level and talk about uh, what that can look like and does look like, and then we're going to leave some time for question and answer and try to be done by 11.05, which that's our plan. So how many of you have seen one or more presentations from the K-12 online conference. Have some of you done that for? Yay, go K-12. So Dean Chereski, one of my personal learning Yodas, um, educator in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, just has a wonderful presentation called Sharing the Moral Imperative that was our pre-conference keynote last year. K-12 online is a free conference. It's happened for five years. It'll happen again this fall. And uh, educators from around the world share some of their best ideas in about 40 videos that are shared online, and we have some live events. So that frames this a little bit. Um, another frame, I have taught pre-service teachers uh, since 2005, but most recently the last three semesters in Oklahoma and in Denton, Texas, at the University of North Texas. And I really overdid the technology, communi the communication tools a year ago in the spring. So I had two sections of pre-service teachers, about 50 students, and we lecture casted uh, with video um, to Ustream and then archived that on Blip TV. We had a uh, portal site on NetVibes. We had a Facebook page that was connected um, to our class blog and to other content. We had a, a frequently asked questions blog for students. Uh, we had a text messaging option with text marks. Um, we had a scribe blog where students would summarize the lesson and write things over there. We had a Digo group. Uh, my students had separate blogs, and we had WebCT. Good grief. That was too much. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. My students were overwhelmed. What I kept this semester, this, well, last fall and in the spring, 
was the text messaging. How many of you have an opportunity uh, with some kind of a platform to send text messages to your students? Does anybody have a chance to do that? TextMarks used to have a free plan, and they've just changed their plan. Of course, I've been teaching pre-service college students. But studies, of course, show when you get a text message, you generally read it within 60 seconds. Way over 90% of people will read a text message. So I promise my students I will not spam you. But being able to send a message directly to my students from my phone or from the computer was a huge thing. In fact, it happened this year that I got a flat tire on my way to one of our uh, supplementary class meetings, not a regular class, and was able to send that message out to students who were you know, going to come new. So we kept that text messaging part. Um, I found it better to have a class blog instead of all my students having a different blog. Of course, we kept the WebCT Blackboard, but um, we ditched a lot of the, these other things. Um, digital footprints are, some, are a metaphor that's powerful for thinking about publishing content, and we need to help our students, and we need ourselves to craft that digital footprint. When someone Googles for us, how do we take control over what the search results bring up? Well, one of the ways is by publishing more content and sharing content that we're proud of and content that we want to share. Another way to frame this conversation uh, is digital portfolios. And I know we've got different sessions about that today. This is a photo of my son throwing away every note that he took in sixth grade <laughs> at the beginning of the summer, um, year before last. And when he was ready to do this, I was just like, you know, the teacher and me, son, do you, are you sure? Are you going to throw all that away? I mean, I've still got boxes in our garage, which my wife would love for me to throw away, but there were some of my graduate courses on John Dewey and Paulo Freire, and just, I invested in that. Do I just want to throw that away? Well, what I've found, and you may have found too, is that if things remain in that paper-based analog form, we may think they're persistent. Oh, and we're going to be able to keep that forever. But I find they become, it's far easier for that paper-based material to become irrelevant, to become something that's in a dusty stack in the garage that I never look at, versus something that's online that I can Google for, that I can look up. Thankfully, Alexander did a project uh, for his history class where he was interviewing grandparents, and we shared that online. That was an example. But what evidence do you have that last year happened at all? What evidence will exist in five years that learning took place in your classroom for your students? We need to have digital portfolios. Um, and so we can talk about this in different ways. This is the same study I referenced in the uh, keynote about reputation management and social media. Kids are getting Googled all the time. College admissions officers are looking at them. We can swap stories. One of the ones I learned last year was in a small town called Alva, Oklahoma, that's near the Panhandle. Counselor was telling me a story about one of their seniors applying to Oklahoma State University. She was going to pledge a sorority. She was going to rush. And they told her afterwards the things that they found on Facebook and Google were the reasons why they did not extend that invitation for her to join a particular sorority. There's a lot of issues there. It's not just about the technology. It's also about the choices we make in life and the ways in which those are documented. But we need to be aware of this and talk with our students about this. So here are some, some examples of some wonderful you know, classroom sites and, and ways that teachers are using them. On the, the link that I shared, um, I, I have links to the tools and also to the sites. And so we're going to start uh, real briefly again with Maria Nee, who is a kindergarten teacher in Deerfield, New Hampshire. Anybody read Maria's um, blog and just an inspiration to me? 
Um, she got her inspiration from her wiki. That's a, that's a basic question, right? Blog, wiki, what's the difference? I think of it this way. A wiki is like a portal. And so Rachel Boyd, who is an elementary, was an elementary teacher in New Zealand and is now an elementary assistant principal. She was in Nelson, New Zealand, and I think she moved to Auckland. She was a, 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 a keynote speaker for K-12 Online three years ago. Got her inspiration from Rachel. And so here's a website that Maria's kindergarten students use in class and they use at home to launch off into the Internet, to read other class blogs, to play um, math games, um, to read electronic books, read an online book, lots of different things, practice their spelling. So this can be used on an interactive whiteboard. This can be used, um, as long as it's not flash paste, it can be used on an iPad. Um, there's, other, there's different ways to do this. He's got a blogster page embedded here. But that's a great example. I think, yeah, I was able to, I've got some, a photo of Maria's classroom. I had a chance to visit her classroom and we got permission to take photos a year or so ago. And I love this picture. This is a photo taken with Pano and you take a picture here and then it stitches it to this one. And so this is about seven or eight photos. And you might, as you might guess, a good classroom teacher facilitating learning moves around the room. So Maria's in here twice. She's over here in the back working with students who are recording on their iPod the stories that they've written. And then uh, when I got over here, she had talked to these kids that were writing on the blog over on their computer. But what are the kids doing? They're, they're writing. They're working together. These students were working on um, their, P, their DSI and their pets that they were managing together, the economics of how are we going to distribute our resources for our pet? Do we buy these expensive clothes or do we, you know, what do we do? Uh, this student was at the, at the interactive whiteboard. And the story here that was remarkable is this is a student um, who, well, he, he, he brought knowledge and skills that he found at home back to the classroom and wanted to teach the other students. And this is a, this is a student that is classified as having special needs. And in a classroom where we were not differentiating learning, and we were not inviting students to share what they know and what they found, maybe his voice wouldn't be significant. But he's now taught all the members of his class about a Rube Goldberg-like site that you can explore and, and solve problems. And this is what he was doing, was teaching one of his classmates at that moment. So this is Rachel Boyd's wiki that she created. And you can see there's some similarities in how that's laid out. But that idea of having a portal for my classroom where parents can come, Students can come, and we use it regularly. It's, it's our jumping off point. Rather than going to Google first or Yahoo, we go to our class portal. And that's built on a wiki because wikis allow us to, to create documents together. That's what Wikipedia is, is a, is a collaboratively edited document. Versus a blog, which is going to have time and date stamps, and it's kind of going to filter down with time. We're going to that post about Skype in the classroom. Over time, it's going to be hidden. But the wiki is the classroom portal, and it's going to have the places I want you to go first. So this is a, a, a link to Rachel Boyd's wonderful keynote in 2009 for K-12 Online uh, called A Peak for a Week Inside a Kiwi Junior Classroom. About a 20-minute presentation, and um, you know, if you're not using K-12 online personally, if you're not sharing it with your teachers, uh, very passionate about that. It is free. There's no vendor involvement at all, 
and uh, we'll be in our sixth year. And so what a great chance to go into Rachel's classroom and hear her explain how she's using these tools. Let's move to the middle school level, and I'd like to share an example from Liberty, Missouri. This is the blog site of Eric Langhorst. Eric was a U.S. history teacher, is a U.S. history teacher in Liberty, was the Missouri State Teacher of the Year a couple years ago. And one of the awesome projects that Eric does is reading a book called Guerrilla Season by Pat Hughes. And it tells the story of bleeding Kansas and the border wars between Missouri and Kansas. If you ever wonder why Missouri Tigers don't get along very well with Kansas Jayhawks, okay, read Guerrilla Season. Now, it's a fictional account of what Jesse James, and if you're, yeah, I mean, history, like, we don't study that, you know, down in Texas, like, we study Texas history, you know, you know. Very significant because it's a fictional account of what what the um, adolescence of Jesse James might have been before he became famous. But he grew up right around Liberty, Missouri. And Quantrill, who was one of the raiders that was just uh, was a terrorist, literally. Um, the way in the way in which what, what it was like to live at that time and and right around Liberty. So an example of of a project as the students read Guerrilla Season they have opportunities to interact with the author because Eric has contacted Pat Hughes, who's, a, who's living, who's the author, and she has agreed to come in and leave comments and provide feedback on a blog site that the class uses. And at the end of their unit, uh, I think now for two years, she has done a short Skype video conference to come into their class. How do you share that with parents that don't have an opportunity to come the day Pat Hughes is video conferencing? Well, it's through a class site like Eric's Teaching with History site and being able to document that learning. And that's not only valuable to invite the community in and to extend the learning and and the parent understanding of what's happening. It's also very professionally edifying for all of us to see that example, to hear what he did and what went wrong and what would you do differently next time. Let's now go to a high school example, and I'll share a side of Darren Kerpatwa, who had been the chair of the math department at Daniel McIntyre Academy in Winnipeg, Manitoba, mainly teaching calculus and pre-calculus teachers. He's now a curriculum specialist for the province, and he has to, um, he does his job in French and English now, so very challenging. Uh, oh, at least I, I, I know a little Spanish, and I can't, I would not be able to confidently, I think, uh, um, do my professional job in two languages. So uh, kudos to Darren. His website called A Difference is where he regularly shares his thoughts, but I think he's probably most famous for something called a scribe blog and the idea of a scribe blog hall of fame. How many of you have heard Darren talk or you've uh, heard a podcast by him? Alan November has had him come to BLC, have not been to BLC yet, would love to go. And so this isn't something that's magical. You can't just say, oh, guys, we're going to have a scribe blog, and um, if you want to summarize the, the lesson. I mean, Darren has very carefully, deliberately cultivated a, 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 a culture of sharing within his classroom. And how do you elevate exemplars and celebrate their work and encourage this, the building of this culture. What he does is he has different students throughout the year summarize the lesson. And over time, the blogs that they would have for each class have, would be, have become the textbook that the students turn to because in some cases their peers did a better, better job explaining the concept of the day than, than perhaps Darren did or somebody else did. So this is a powerful idea 
and they used a blog to have a scribe post, um, well, to have a place where these were aggregated. So Darren did two things here. He has a wiki that he created on PB Works where he highlighted the Hall of Fame. What makes a good scribe post of the day? Well, probably some visuals. And most of the visuals in here were actually created with Microsoft Paint. So we're not talking about everybody having a Adobe CS5 or whatever license and just, you know, they were using the tools they had. But Darren was leveraging not only a blog but also a wiki to facilitate this sharing to celebrate and recognize the, the exemplary posts that students were making, and then to archive these, because these are available. We can go look at them now, and I've got them linked on our site. And um, huh, we know as teachers that when we're asked to teach something, it's quite different than simply sitting back and hearing about it and then needing to work a problem. So there's great modeling in this activity of how students can be teaching the curriculum. And I'm not abdicating my role as a teacher when I have you do this. What I'm doing is recognizing that the depth of your understanding and the, and the work that you put into the assignment is probably different when you're doing it out here in this public space that your peers are going to see, especially when you know as the teacher I'm going to celebrate and recognize exemplary work and you want to raise, rise up to that challenge. So let's, I've got uh, about three minutes here and then I'm going to hand off to Ben. How many of you know about Posterous? Posterous.com. Have you all used Posterous some? I heard the co-founder talk about this on a webinar. I'd heard about it but didn't know why it was significant. It's significant because email and email attachments are things probably all the teachers now in our schools can do. If you can send an email with an attachment, you can publish rich media to the web using Posterous. So a site will be created, and if you want to be fancy, you can cross-post to other places. A couple quick examples. My parents, my mom likes to send me articles, and she'd email things. I said, Mom, if you just email it to post at Posterous.com, then I can go in and check it in, you know, check in on it later. So we had a huge hailstorm last May that actually totaled my car. It was very sad. Um, but some people created some amazing video, and this one video is like carpet bombing in Oklahoma City. They just took their camera, and you see the, the hail come. It's like softball-sized hail, like 20 minutes in this core of hail. It was terrible. Well, anyway, my mother emailed this to Posterous. She didn't get the embed code. She didn't do real fancy stuff. She just put the link in. And this is called an auto-embed. WordPress now does this, or can do this, and Posterous does. So this website completely created with email. And I use this a lot now with my iPad and my iPhone. As I read something, if I want to share it, I can have it over here on my Posterous site. If I use a different address, if I use Posterous at Posterous.com, it doesn't cross-post. If I say post, then it goes over to my main blog. So um, here's a couple examples. This is Mr. Thompson's classroom blog. It says, I'm your, your child's second grade teacher at North Elementary. We're going to be keeping in touch in a variety of ways this year, and this is one of the ways. And so, of course, permission forms and all the confidentiality and uh, AUP issues come up whenever we're posting student work and student photos. Here's another example of an AP World History class. We're posting assignments, but also student work. And we're doing it with email. I really think it's important. How many steps does it take? That video I showed in the keynote of the, the scouting marketing video, I know that was hours and hours. And it would be great for us to have 
time regularly to create media like that. But if we want more teachers to be sharing online, the number of steps required is an important thing to look at and analyze. Email attachments, it goes to posture. So another example, I think it's Holland Christian Schools. Um, Jim has a, a blog, and he's doing it all you know, through email. Another great tool is called iPatio for phone casting. We use this for oral history and digital storytelling projects. Need to get somebody's interview voice. How do I do it? I can make a free phone cast, which means somebody calls a phone number, they put in a code, and they record a message for free. And there's a variety of tools. My favorite ones to use right now are iPatio and um, Cinchcast. Before my final exam this semester, a week ago Friday, I recorded a study cast for my students. This was a 15-minute prep for the final review about Creative Commons, copyright issues. Those were some of the things that were tricky. How did I do it? I used my phone at my kitchen table. Did it sound wonderful? No. I mean, I could do better. But hey, it was available for my students. Where did I get that idea? Eric Langhorst, 8th grade U.S. history teacher. He's been doing study casts for years. So this is a great tool. Give it a shot. Um, I've got, bless you, I've got an example of a field trip uh, reflection. Some kids from the U.K. went over to Normandy, and one of the students reflected right after seeing the cemetery there and the gravestones, you know, the impact of, of seeing that in person. Nothing like that kind of recording at the time when it happens. So we've uh, used a, a family learning blog for a number of years, and I have uh, encouraged and prodded my own children to be able to share. Um, tools like Wikispaces, Google Sites um, are good wikis. I, this is my favorite blog right now. I, I did two classroom blogs for my two sections this semester, one on EduBlogs and one on KidBlog. Love KidBlog, completely free, completely advertisement-free, and a, a great place to have a, a blog where we're going to share our thoughts and ideas. Uh, David Warlick still has Classroom Blogmeister, which is a free tool and it has some additional features, but um, KidBlog is what I would steer people to. Um, EduBlogs is great as well. It's uh, managed by James Farmer out of Australia. And this is what Posturus looks like. You can have multiple Posturus sites, multiple accounts, but again, email is the way that that works. So that's just an example of how moderation comes in. You turn on moderation. Yes, we want to moderate our posts. We want to moderate our comments because we don't want something to blow up and uh, have a you know angry parent because of some incident that we didn't get to approve. So uh, I think this is just an example of how you can use the iPad and you know cross-post something and have that available online. So with that fast version of uh, some classroom examples, I'd like to turn it over to Ben to talk a little bit about the district level of bringing the community into our schools. While I uh, get this all set up here, why don't you take just maybe 30 seconds to a minute and talk amongst your table groups, and if you're one of the outliers that doesn't have a table group, you'll have to uh, join up with one of the other groups. Um, talk just briefly about what your district is doing right now to communicate the things that are happening at a building level, at a classroom level, at a district level. Um, so talk specifically about communication that's happening um, in those three areas. All right, to give, just to, to help me give an understanding of who we have in the room right now, how many of you work at a classroom level, meaning you're either a classroom teacher or a classroom specialist who focuses on one specific classroom? Anybody in here, just one specific classroom? Okay, thanks. 
anybody building wide. So you, what your work impacts a building, whether it's a building principal or a building specialist. Okay, how about district-wide? Um, how many of you? Okay, excellent. As Wes did a, an excellent job setting up what we're looking at at a classroom level, I'd like to back up a little bit, take a step and, and sort of uh, look at a, a broader perspective from a district perspective and talk about communications and why that's imperative right now and what that can mean uh, for you in your district and what it can mean for your parents and your community. Uh, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about comes from the communication plan that I put together. Uh, you can view our communication plan. This is a PDF. Uh, you can view the, the complete document. If you go to tinyurl.com d123 communications, that will give you a direct link to our PDF. You can download that, um, take a look at it uh, with all of the, the exposition I provide in there through some of the things that I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to pull out a few things, um, and I want to have a discussion about communication and what we can be doing as a district. I know a lot of these things that I'm going to, to reference and talk about, a lot of districts are doing already, so some of these things you and your district may be doing, but I think we need to consider from a, a full organizational standpoint, do we have a strategy, do we have an approach that everyone in your organization understands? Uh, down to your classroom teacher, to your building level folks, to your district level folks, the things that you're doing, is it a comprehensive and integrated plan? Um, and that's what we created, and that's what we put together is uh, an integrated communications plan. And I do have to say and give credit uh, and, and a big thanks to Jeff Arnett, is the Chief Communications Officer at Barrington uh, District 220. Uh, he, he has uh, proven to be such a valuable asset to, to myself, a great mentor, and he helped a lot, provide a lot of feedback for me with this document. So um, if you have any other questions or, or as you think through your communications plan, um, obviously I'm happy to help, but he's another person in the field right now. Uh, excellent, excellent resource. And, and I guess that should uh, probably provoke me to introduce who I am even and what I do. That would probably... <laughs> help you a little bit. Um, I'm Ben Gray. I am the, uh, the Director for Communications uh, and Director for Technology in District 123. That's in Oak Lawn hometown. Uh, I just took this position July 1st. Uh, tremendous opportunity. The position I have right now blends directing technology and directing communications. It's a huge job, but it's, it's a fascinating job. And then I get to work to see how these two worlds come together. And how, as you know, and, and certainly as Wes has set up very well, how technology is changing how we communicate and how we communicate with our constituents. Um, I want to talk about a concept that in education, this seems, when I mention the term branding or when someone talks about branding, that tends to, to elicit a response from education that's a curious and interesting response. So I'd like to give you uh, maybe just 30 seconds or so. Talk amongst yourselves. When you think of branding, what do you think of, and, and, and how does that term strike you? So go ahead and have a, a quick conversation about that. So the concept of branding, and I want to spend a little bit of time to talk about this, because it's, it's an important concept in education, uh, not just corporations, because what you probably think of, um, let me hear, does anybody share, when you think of branding, what do you think of? Logos. Logos. Recognition. Recognition. Anybody have an, like an adverse reaction to the term? Think, Wes? Think that it's something that uh, maybe doesn't belong in education, maybe it's a corporate um, piece? Andy? Well, we, we were saying we were here that, that I think 
I think that the, the term has been sort of associated with commercialism because of kind of the narrow way that, that, that it's been used because of TV, but I think as media opens up, it becomes a different term. Absolutely, and that's the approach that I want to take with the term, is that it's more than a narrow focus on, and Wes and I were just talking about this, you see the, the, the Nike logo, and what's associated with that brand, and you begin to think of, well, what about the sweatshops, what about all of these other uh, negative pieces to that brand, but that's a small part of what branding is. Branding is simply what you're delivering to your community or to your audience. So if you as a district are delivering communications, if you're delivering excellent education, those things that you are delivering to your customers, and I'll use the term customers because really that's, that's what our, our students are, that's what our parents are. They're people who are part of our organization. We are giving them goods and services um, in a way of, of learning, which is probably one of the most important goods and services we can be delivering. So when I talk about branding, I like these two quotes here. Richard Branson says, build brands not around products, but around reputation. And Jeff Bezos says you earn reputation by trying to do hard things well. So branding is that what you're delivering to people. And you don't need to think of branding in a negative way, um, in those negative terms, although some people know that as a district, you can develop a negative brand. Your community can, can develop a mistrust. Your community can develop uh, questions about how things are running. And certainly in these economic times, that's... that's probably very prevalent in a lot of communities, a lot of districts. But it's, it's what you're delivering, and then your reputation is that re, is a relationship between that. It's what people perceive of you. So you earn that reputation. It's the perception of people, of, of, your, um, of your audience. Your brand is what you're delivering to them. And I would encourage us in education to begin to think much more purposefully about our brand. Because who are we as a district and what are we delivering to our consumers, to our parents, to our community, to our students? And how are we celebrating those things? Because a lot of districts are doing a lot of excellent, excellent work in their classrooms, in their buildings, in their district. And are we celebrating those? Are we getting out there and sharing those with our community, talking about those things that are happening? Because that builds a brand. You can see on the right-hand side over here, this year we developed a new logo. And my approach to developing, and our district approach to developing a logo, was we wanted to get to a place where we develop a brand that when people see this logo, when people think of Oakland Hometown District 123, they think of the good things we're doing. They think of the excellent education we're offering their students. They think of the learning opportunities we're affording our kids. Because if you see that logo, um, and you know this, if you see some logos that have negative, um, a negative impact on your thinking, and it may be a district logo, maybe you live in a, in a community where your, um, your district that you live in is one that you're concerned about. And you see that district logo and you immediately start to associate, oh, there's some troubles, there's had some hard times, whatever it may be. But you as a district, if you're delivering and conscious about that, about delivering positive things, that builds your reputation. And I would say that filters down to the classroom level. And some people push back against the idea that a person can be a brand. But if you think about it, what each one of you do individually, whether you're a classroom teacher, superintendent, a principal, whoever you are, as an individual, you're developing a brand by the things you're delivering to those people that you deliver them to, whomever that may be. 
So I don't think we need to push back against that term. And I know that this may be uncomfortable for some of you. Some of you still may think I hate the term. And I don't like the whole idea of a brand. And I, I get that. But think about those things that you're doing. Are you delivering powerful, excellent things to your to, to whoever your audience is? And I'll give you a quick example um, of my own personal interest. I, in the last several years, I've I've really gained an interest in the in the uh, photo or in the, in the hobby of photography. Um, I, I've, uh, it's just something that I, I truly enjoy. I'm starting to share my photos on Flickr. If you go to my, my, my Flickr photo stream and you see those photos, I'm developing a brand there, not in a commercial, I'm going to sell you these things. Yeah, I'm not looking to interchange money, but I'm developing a brand there. Um, whether you want to call it a brand or not, that's what's happening. Because you go there and you see what I'm giving, you see what I'm producing and what I'm sharing, and that develops my brand. I'll give you one example. This is just going to be a, like a low blow sucker punch because I'm going to have to show you my son, who, yeah. of course, you know... Um, two-year-old son, so when he got, his, he got his bike helmet, he thought, well, you can kind of see what he thought of himself when he was checking himself out in the mirror. Um, that he's pretty awesome. He's looking pretty good in that Spider-Man helmet. Um, but this is developing, as I said, when you go on and you look at the photos that I'm putting on there. Truly, if you are sharing things on, on a blog, if you're sharing things, um, however publicly, Understand that that is building your brand and it's building your reputation. And we don't have to think of that as a bad thing. Um, really, it can be a very positive thing because it can make us mindful and cognizant of what it is we're doing every single day. Um, here's a quote from the, the communications plan. I'll go ahead and break a rule in case some of you can't really read it back there uh, of mine to read the text off the slide, so my apologies. Um, but it says, internal stakeholders are the face and the voice of the district. And as such, their interactions, demeanor, and professionalism express critical messages that influence what the public thinks about the organization. I know that sounds very businesslike, but it's very true for an educational community. Because you have staff members, you have parents, you have community members who don't have kids in your district, you have all these people who are invested in the work that you are doing. And I will say that the overall reason why I'm passionate about this, why I believe in this, why I think that this is um, such an important approach to take is because we know the impact that parents have on students' education. And if your parents are not involved, if your parents are not invested, if your parents are not giving them the opportunities to know what's taking place in the district and to support that, we're missing a huge opportunity. So when we think about this, internal stakeholders are those people who are inside of your organization, your staff members, your administrators, your support uh, folks. Those people, those are really the face and the voice of your district. And are we helping them understand this, that how they communicate? Uh, and again, I'll go back to what Wes was sharing. All those examples of what Wes was sharing is an excellent way for the public to know the good things that are happening. Know and be in touch with the learning that's taking place within the students' lives every day in the classroom. Uh, here's another quote from the plan. Integrated communication strategies provide focus, clarity, and continuity across all segments of an organization. This approach is critical as everything an organization does and this line is, is, I think, very telling, and sometimes does not do, sends a message to stakeholders. Because those things that we don't do often speak as loudly as those things that we are doing. 
Uh, we're going to have a panel this, this afternoon about social media and social media guidelines, social media policy. Um, and, and one of the questions we're going to deal with is, do you interact with people on social media, with blogs? Uh, think about the newspaper blogs. Any of you who have any relations um, and have to work at all with media, uh, you can go on to a, a newspaper's website when they post a story and read those comments. And uh, if you have to deal with that at all, you know how frustrating that can be because there's a lot of misinformation. And the question is, should we respond to that? Should we as a district respond to those comments in those blogs? Should we respond to comments that are on people leave on Facebook about us as a district and what we're doing? Um, that'll be a teaser. I won't answer it. I'll talk about it this afternoon. So make you go to that session. Um, but that's the integrated communications uh, strategy. And again, as I said before, uh, Jeff Arnett is a, is a, is a guy who, who knows uh, this stuff so well. Um, and he, he's a, an invaluable resource if you're thinking about this integrated communication strategy. All of your pieces coming together, working in cohesion, um, one with another. And again, that filters down to your classroom level. How are your teachers sharing out what they're doing in an appropriate and positive way with your community? How is your building doing that? How is your district doing that? So setting that stage, kind of giving that little bit of a background as far as that's what we were thinking. When we were approaching, how can we engage our community? And I will tell you, some communities are more difficult to engage than others. Sometimes you're working against the history of things that happened in the district in the past that you had no control over, but there's a deep rooted sense of whether that's mistrust. That could be positive trust. It could be a very good thing or it could be a negative thing but you're working with some history in your districts. So how do you effectively engage your community in these dialogues? Um, I'll run through some of the ways that, that, that we did this and some of our approaches. Uh, this is a, a screen capture of uh, our new district website. This January, we rolled out a, a new website. And I'll, if you go to d123.org, uh, that's our website. You can poke around there. Uh, a lot of these elements are interactive, and I'll, I'll give a quick overview of these. Um, we were extremely purposeful in how we built this website. And I'll, I'll go over this. I won't spend too much time on it because everyone has a, every school has a website. And can, I, can we just be like real honest for a minute and very open and candid? Um, what's the deal with school websites? Because the majority of school websites are just awful. And I don't mean this to offend anybody. I'm sure you are all the exception. Yours all are probably great. Um, Ours wasn't. Ours was not great. Ours was a mess. Um, to be honest, ours was a complete mess. Uh, very difficult to navigate. Uh, we, we had issues with it. So this year we said, how can we go about designing a website that will get the information we need to our community and navigate it in a way uh, that, that people want to be there? But also, when you look at this, what's one of the first things that you see when you, see, when you look at our website? The kids. That's our brand. Um, and again, that's not a negative thing. Please understand that. We're about our kids. That's what we're all about. And that's what we want to communicate through the brand that we're developing. Um, that that's, a, that's a very positive thing. You can't see this, but the, the image rotates. Um, there's five different photos that rotate of our kids. Um, and these are all our students. Um, I go around and take photos at different events and then uh, post them um, to the site. So as we work through how we want this to, to communicate to our community um, and, and the elements we want on here, we, we purposely designed a number of things. And in, in the research we did, and the only reason I say that about school websites, I looked at, at hundreds and hundreds of school websites. And I'd say 99% of those um, were pretty rough. And we understand that. 
Because financial times are tough, and a lot of people want to do it and say, let's do this, and let's do it at a very, very low cost or free if we can. But the problem with that is, and the, the, the reason I'd warn you to, to be very purposeful about your website, this is often one of the first things people see when they're looking at your district. Even parents, parents use your website very frequently. And if your website is something that you've not spent a lot of time on, is disorganized, hard to find things on, that communicates volumes to your constituency. They are gathering messages about who you are and what you're, you're, you're putting your time into. And I understand we say well, we're about the kids, and I, I agree with that 100%. Our focus is on our students. But that's why I believe our website needs to be strong and powerful because it pulls our community in. It allows parents to get access to the information they need in order to support their kids in their learning experience. So a quick couple of, of items. Um, if you go on the website, in the upper right, there's a, uh, a Twitter bird. I'll get to that in a little bit. We do use a Twitter account. If you hover over that bird, our latest tweet uh, opens up, a uh, little interactive element. We, we didn't want that to be you know, like right in your face, but we want it to be available so people could see uh, what we're updating. Uh, we have, do have a Facebook page. I'll show you that in a second. <clears throat> e-newsletters, I'll show you that in a second as well. Uh, but wanted to highlight upcoming events on the right, uh, a translate button that a lot of sites are now adapting. You can translate the site into 72 different languages. All the text on the site is translated because we didn't use um, flattened JPEG or ping images on all this. All of our text is dynamic, so it can be translated. Uh, this bottom right-hand portion is key because it's highlighting, it's an in-the-news section. And uh, I have teachers and principals and different people in our, in our district submit news stories to me. Because I do play two roles, I am the director of technology and communication, I wish that I had more time to focus on going to the schools and writing the stories and doing more of that, but I just I run into a hard limit of time. So I have people in our district submit those to me, and then I post them on our site. And then people can go on, and we have photo galleries, and we're highlighting and celebrating the good things that are happening. The media knows now they can constantly go on our site and find these stories, and I'll get an email or a call from them to say, hey, saw this on your website, can we follow up with this? Developing a positive uh, relationship with your media, your local media, is extremely important as well. And if you're in a role where you're responsible for that, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to, to, to access your information. Because if you make it difficult, they're not going to run your stories. And if any of you have, have had any dealings with the media, you know sometimes it's frustrating because it's a lot easier for them to run the negative stories than it is for them to run the positive good stories that are happening in your district. If you're not making it easy for them to get those positive stories, they're not going to get them. So be purposeful about how you're sharing those things. Um, and also down here, we have a resources box. This is broken out by audience. Um, you can click on which audience member you are, and then that gives you the most often used links for those audience members. So we packed a lot, and, and, and as a little kind of a bonus, if you click on the View Our Schools, we did this just because we thought it was cool. Uh, if you click on that, it, it kind of blows out that whole section, and you get our six schools. You can rotate, you can scroll over, and you get the contact information, address, link to a Google map, all of that um, right on the site. So what we try to do is we try to make the site not too busy, not too cluttered, easy to navigate, but there's a lot going on on our front page, but it all hides out of the way when, we, when you don't need it, when you don't want to see it. Um, I'm doing it on time. Okay. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. I know a lot of districts are, are using Facebook, and, and you probably, and you may well be one of them, so I'm, I'm not saying anything new here. 
Uh, but just to give you a, a brief overview, we do think that social media certainly has a role to play. Uh, we can tell our story. This, we, we just recently set this up. Um, we're at 220 people like this. So some people would say, well, is it worth it for 220 people? I can tell you from the interactions I've had already uh, running our Facebook page, absolutely. Because we have people who get information, uh, get small stories um, on, the, on our Facebook page and share it out with people uh, all over our community. And it's free to use and it's free to set up. So why wouldn't we take advantage of this? You have to think about where are people consuming. And in communications, that's critical. Where is it that your people are consuming their content? Because if you're creating and if you're sharing things in spaces where your people aren't, they're not going to be seeing it. They're not going to be reading it. We know we have people on Facebook. Um, right now, we do offer interaction. Uh, I do respond sometimes to people on our page. Uh, I, I link to stories that our local media runs. I think I had one on here. Um, yeah, this one right here is the story that Patch.com, um, if you have a patch in your area, those are local online-based um, news organizations that are beginning to pop up. Uh, our local patch ran a story about a sixth grade student, so I just linked to the story. And the newspapers like that because you're linking and giving them um, a little bit of coverage, but we have people who then would respond to this on our site. We do reserve the right to, to moderate those comments. If somebody says something inappropriate, if somebody says something that's inflammatory, somebody says something that's just not right, we reserve the right to take that down. People understand that. And one of the, the questions that a lot of people will, will ask about this, um, and again, we'll probably talk more about this this afternoon in the social media uh, session, is what if someone says something inappropriate on your site? How do you control that? And my response is, what if someone comes to a board meeting and says something inappropriate? What if someone comes to a town hall meeting that you have and says something inappropriate? You have guidelines and policies and procedures set up. Those translate onto whatever media, whatever format you're using. Um, so think of it that way. Uh, also, our Twitter account, uh, you'll notice we only have 27 followers right now. So again, the question may come, well, is it worth your time to do this? Well, I'd say yes for several reasons. One, this is tied to our Facebook account. So anytime I post on Facebook, it auto-populates to Twitter. So I have 27 people who I know that's uh, always populating their feed. However, one of the ways we use our Twitter feed is we, uh, I, I, during the Board of Education meetings, I live tweet the Board of Education meetings. So I provide updates as we go along, what votes are taking place, uh, what conversations are taking place. So people who can't make the board meetings, they just go to our Twitter page. And, and, and we've shared this with the community, and we've had quite a few people who will go to the page. They don't have to be using Twitter. They can just go to our Twitter page and follow what's happening. Um, one of the big votes right down here, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about, uh, this says, the board voted unanimously to approve the technology purchase. Details of the purchase will be made available on the website soon. Uh, our board just approved a one-to-one -one for all of our students in grades 5 through 8 um, starting next year, something I was tremendously excited about. Um, and it was really neat because probably two, three minutes after I posted this, I started getting messages on my phone and email from people who were not at the meeting but who were out there saying, oh, congratulations, we're so excited. So people were following along, waiting for the vote to hear what happens. All of this to say, what we're doing, our work, our communication efforts, trying to get the community more involved in understanding more what's taking place. Uh, my uncle lives in, in Oak Lawn and doesn't have, any, uh, doesn't have any kids in the system. And when I first got the job, I sat down with him um, over lunch and I said, tell me about being someone in the district who doesn't have any kids in the district. What, what are your perceptions and what can I do to communicate with you? And he said, well, we know you're just going to come to us asking for more money. We only hear from districts when they want money. 
And that was his perception. And that's a lot of people who don't have kids in your community. A lot of times you have a population who that's their mindset. You're only going to come talk to us when you want our money. And I think we have to break that. I think we have to, to change that. I think we need to get to the point where we're sharing those great things that are happening with our community members because they need to hear them. Because I know a lot of good things are happening in your district and I know a lot of good things are happening in ours. And that's why we believe that this is so, so very important. Um, I'll show you one last one last item and then leave some time for questions and answers. Um, we also do e-newsletters um, that we send out. We have people, and I know a lot of districts do this as well. Uh, we have people who subscribe, um, and then we send this out uh, with, it, it just sends out to their, blasts out to their email, um, formatted in this way. Uh, we can we create this through the, the website that we transitioned to this year. Um, and, and this right here is an invitation to a town hall meeting that we're having right now talking about that technology purchase. So at every single building, we're doing an evening town hall meeting where we're inviting the parents in the community to come out and talk to us. We're giving an overview of the, of the project, giving an overview of why we're focusing on 21st century uh, teaching and learning, and then why the, the 21st century tools. But that's another way. If your, if your community is not in a place where they're ready for electronic communications, I would again advise you um, or recommend communicate where they're consuming. Allow them to come to you. Allow town hall meetings. Um, some of them still prefer paper. Uh, paper, uh, you know, send home the, the paper items. Transition them. Don't just go kind of that cold turkey where all of a sudden now you're, you're digital because you'll lose some of the people who are consuming and you need some of the people to, to know what's happening. Um, but find different ways to communicate and to connect with your community. Uh, I'll reiterate one more time. The importance of this, the importance of the brand, the importance of the communication, um, the importance of getting community involvement is all with the perspective of what it means for our students. Because having a community involved and invested and interested in what you're doing will only mean good things for your kids. And that's absolutely the lens we look, for, we look through. I don't do this for the sake of communicating, for the sake of PR, for the sake of any of those things. I do it because I know what it's going to mean for our kids. Um, and I would strongly recommend um, that you think about that because these things are critical. All right, so we threw a lot at you. Um, we planned, I think we've got about 15 minutes or so for, for question and answer. Um, if you have any questions for Wes or myself, anything we've covered, um, now is the time. With your Facebook site, does that link through your district website? Yeah, if you go right down here to connect, click that Facebook um, sign, and then that goes, yes, that goes. And also up, my laser pointer is terrible, um, if you go up to the to the Twitter bird in the upper right that's kind of grayed out, if you hover over that, that tweet comes out, but there's a link then there that takes you to our Twitter page or our Facebook page. Do anybody in your department branch off of uh, in what way? Right now, we only we have a district Facebook page. Uh, part of our communication plan, our goals for next year, will be to roll out school-wide Facebook pages. Um, right now, if you go to our, our website, you'll see if you go to schools and go to one of our school websites, you'll get a nice picture of what our old website used to look like. Uh, pretty rough. Uh, we're transitioning our school sites over the end of this month. Uh, and then in the next year, we're going to work their Facebook, their own Facebook pages uh, for each school. Uh, we're, we're K-8, and I should have qualified that as well. 
so we don't have quite the same departments at a high school level. Uh, you may have a, a math department, a science department, who may be more interested in maintaining their own account for their communications. Um, that's certainly something that uh, you know you, I would recommend talking about and, and working on as well. Um, and there are a lot of different practices and guidelines. Um, certainly, I would recommend setting up as an organizational page and as anyone's personal page. Um, this keeps it clean as far as what people are posting and as far as you don't have to worry about your own personal accounts and people seeing all the stuff. Not that any of you do anything, you know, untoward, but uh, in case you did, um, it, it keeps a nice separation between your personal stuff and an organizational page. Um, and I should also say our teachers... Uh, we're working on new teacher pages. Sorry, Andy. To keep, <laughs> um, I just like to see Andy raise his hand and then lower it and then raise it. Um, our new teacher pages as well, uh, we're doing a lot of what, what Wes was talking about, trying to get them to have a, a platform where they can share out much more easily and a lot of the information they have as well as provide a learning portal for students. So for online classrooms, Google Apps, all of those pieces uh, will be tied to our teacher pages as well. Um, yeah, I was just curious, do you do cross-post between all of these tools, or do you kind of maintain all They They do. Um, when I post to Facebook, it automatically populates our Twitter feed. Um, and I should say our website, if you're looking for a new website, we use uh, a company called Campus Suite. Um, I'd be happy to talk with you about them um, later on. They're InterSync uh, Studios. Tremendous company. Uh, I cannot recommend them enough. Uh, it, even their, the process they went through to migrate our data if any of you have worked through a, a website transition, that's usually a nightmare. They did probably 95% of our data migration. I was floored. Uh, one day they said, hey, we've got all your stuff up. I said, what? I didn't realize they were going to do it. And I, I looked, and they had populated all the pages from our old. They scraped and pulled even PDF documents, everything off our old site, and populated our new site. Uh, incredible. Fantastic. Uh, but they have a tool, too, that syncs that I haven't set up yet. So anytime I would uh, send out a news story, it'll automatically post the news story to our Twitter and to our Facebook page. So they've got a tie that you can work with with that. I just not set that up yet. Yes? Uh, how, do you, Go ahead. how do you manage the, uh, who manages the Facebook posts and the Twitter posts? Is that just you right That's now? just me right now. Is there any discussion about other people doing it? And if so, would you have different accounts or just um, you can add people so to an organization page. You can add other people as an admin, and so other people could. Uh, right now, our superintendent has not yet expressed. Um, and if you listen to this recording, he's not interested in doing. I'm just kidding. Um, he, he he hasn't expressed interest yet at this point in in um, posting. He's you know he's up to me. But if I wanted to, yes, I could definitely add other people. Um, you know, to that to who could post stuff. And that is a challenge, as I said. I only have a limited amount of time, as I'm sure all of you understand that. Um, it's hard sometimes to get those stories out there. I'd encourage you to involve your teachers, involve your principals, let them submit stories to you if you have a, an avenue, a way to, to post those. So, um, like just last night, we had a, an event at our local potbelly where a portion of those proceeds went to one of our schools. I had a board member text me and say, hey, could you put this up on the Facebook page? It took me two seconds, and it was there, and we had a lot of people comment and um, talk to her and say, oh, thanks for putting that up. So it's, it's not too difficult for me right now to do that, but I agree, I'm not going to manage all the school's Facebook pages. I could not do that. Um, I'll let the principals take care of their own page. Does that answer? Is that clear? Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. I think you talked about how you have people from different schools kind of writing your stories or some of the stories and feeding them to you. Are you really a, a department of one then for communication? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, there's me. Um, technology is nice because I have a, a whole technology. We have a whole technology department, um, which helps. But yeah, there's myself and my assistant, and that's that's it for the uh, for tech for communications. Um, so when they submit the stories, I just do a quick edit, um, run through, make sure it's consistent with the voice that we're using with the district, and then post it. And then I, I have, and I've started using this convention. I'll say stories submitted by, and this gets them some credit, but also raises awareness of what's happening in other buildings that they're all submitting as well. And it's encouraged more people to say, oh, that's great, I'm going to submit a story now. So I'm getting more stories, which has certainly helped my job quite a bit. Um, and it's, it's highlighted what's happening in the district. Else? Questions for technically, how do you do your cross posts? Wes asked, technically, what do I do for my cross posts? There, you go to Facebook and there's a tie to Twitter in Facebook. So that, that's a, a tool that's set up. It's an internal tool. It's part of Facebook's tool. So I, you just connect those two accounts, and then anytime I post to Facebook now, it auto posts to our. I don't do anything. It auto posts to our Twitter feed. Um, and as I was saying, our website company has a way as a tool that we're going to be hooking up that anytime we post a news story, it'll auto-populate. It's connected to those. It'll auto-populate both of those for us as well. So pretty straightforward, um, pretty easy. And, and again, a lot of people are familiar with Facebook. Um, there's a level of comfort there. Uh, strongly recommend doing that organization page, though not setting up. Uh, what, and even Facebook's terms of service, I didn't realize this. When I first set up our Facebook page, I set it up as Oakland Hometown District 123 as a person, if that was the person. And I was reading through the terms of service, that's actually, you can't do that. You can't set an organization up according to their terms of service. Um, as an organization, can't have its own personal uh, wall and page and all that. You ha- it has to be owned by someone. Um, so that's something some people get a little bit nervous about, saying, well, I don't want my account tied to this organizational page. Well, there's no, people can't see, people can't track back to your page. And you, when you, if you leave the institution, you can make someone else the admin and remove yourself. So you can kind of transfer that power to somebody else as you go. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, and I think they changed the way that they, I think they just call it a page now. Um, they've changed the, the, the way they've titled that at this point. So if you go on and search for, for Facebook, how to set up a page, they'll talk about it. And there's even a way it says use Facebook as a page. There's that option now where you can go in and, and manage it as if you were that person, but you're that page, if that makes sense. And it's your it is. So anytime someone comments, anytime someone, uh, that's another piece to know as well. Anytime someone leaves a comment on our site, I get a notification um, because that was a concern. What if someone goes on and leaves something really inappropriate and it stays and I don't catch it for a while? I, I'll catch it right away and I can go on and take that off if I need to. But I, we haven't had any problems with that yet. Um, but we're prepared if, if we do have anything like that happen. I'll, I'll throw in a couple. Yeah. yeah. I'll throw in just a couple uh, technical deals. I've, I've been actually consulting um, with this group called the Master Teacher that's based out of Manhattan, Kansas, and has wanted to move into the social media arena. And so I've helped them set up a word blog or word blog, WordPress blog, and talking about how Facebook interfaces with this and you know how all of this um, how all of this works. Um, we are currently taking content from the blog and having it go over to Facebook, um, and then it also goes to Twitter. As looking for different tools and things, this is the one that I have uh, used myself and that I've used most recently there and it's free. It's called RSS Graffiti. 
So it is an application which you can add to a particular page and then you choose the conditions under which content from that feed goes onto your page. So when we talk about creating content, let's think about channels and think about television. As a school, you want to have your own channel. And Ben is right on the money. Where are people consuming content? You know, I'm not advocating we go teach on Facebook, but I'm absolutely advocating that as schools and as classroom teachers complying with our district social media guidelines and all those things, that we move to where people have their attention. And they, they're living in Facebook. It's hard to get someone to come to a site. You know, if you set up your own name or separate thing, they don't, they don't go there often. You've got to have a way to get them there. And you can use email and email blasts. To, to bring them to your site, but because they live in, people live in Facebook, I mean, a lot of people, what, like 40% of U.S. adults now, people in the United States, I should have that statistic, right? <laughs> you get one of those videos and it's out of date, you know, a month. Lots and lots of people live on Facebook. So I, I think tools like this are good, and, and talk about a channel. Ben said they're working with teachers who are, you know, writing blogs and having students create content. So when that content is created as a feed, then it can be, aggregated, you can have a funnel where that content is then shared here on Facebook. And so I, I won't pretend to you know, be the master of this. It's all, you know, we're, I, I'm working in this space, writing in this space, creating in this space, working with students and teachers who are doing the same, and working with organizations who are doing the same. But that particular tool, having tried several different ways, and I was going to ask you, Ben, you're, you're using Facebook as your primary, and that may be a good way to think about it. We're, you know, with this project, using the blog, and the blog is feeding, you know, Twitter and is it feeding Facebook. Um, and so, and mostly, you know, and there's not, I don't know, the whole interaction piece. I'm really interested in, in, in that. Do you, you have other exemplars that you're looking at, or as you um, had this site set up and, and figured out how you all were going to do this, what... Where were, you, where were you looking in addition to the, um, the authors that you mentioned? Are there other schools that you point to that, that you think are, are good exemplars for doing this? And what should we avoid? Have we asked that question yet? You know, the definite blow-ups that we want, those are kind of front and foremost. When you ask about who you're looking at, you mean um, for the website, for the whole thing, for, for yeah, which part of it? Um, as far as the school websites, as I said, we research so many... I can't count how many hundreds of, of sites we look at. Um, I work with a designer as well. He's a tremendous designer. Um, he, he's outstanding at, at working to develop that whole idea of let's look at, you know, with, with our logo, um, our, our previous logo was one that was just, it, it didn't capture well uh, what, we were, what we were doing. Um, and this logo here, through a lot of conversations with our community, uh, conversations with people in the district, uh, we came up with, we're Oak Lawn Hometown. We're two different communities, um, but we're together. So this, this district logo, um, and as we talk through that, you know, typically you'll see an apple or a pencil. Or, I was wondering, are those things really representative of, of our, our school? Because if you research the history of Apple representation, um, I don't mean the company, those of you who love Apple um, products, but I mean, uh, you know, that the kid bring an apple to a, to a teacher. What does that actually mean? And the fact that some teachers um, used to be in communities that were not, uh, they couldn't afford to pay, so they pay you in apples. Um, and that was part of where that symbolism came. So that truly symbolized who we are, the apple 
um, the, the other pieces. So as we talk through, we purposely chose to not have it be something you would typically see with education. We wanted to represent our community because that's part of who we, that's a, a huge part of who we are. So you see the oak leaf in the middle of the home. So oak, oak um, you know, so you see oak lawn hometown. Um, that combination. And our designer talked a lot with us about identifying those. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, you know, what, what are all the pieces that you're communicating? What do those mean to the people who are seeing them? Um, and he was he was outstanding with this. So as he looked at a lot of school websites, uh, we did not find many school websites. I will tell you um, that that we felt had a lot of strengths. We took elements from some church sites that we saw. Like if you hover over about D one two three ones, if you hover right in the mega or in the menu structure, yeah. If you notice. Uh, we have a, what's called a mega menu structure, which when it opens up, you can access pages that are two, three, four pages deep in our structure right from our home page. Um, and we found a couple church sites who had that convention and thought, that's awesome. Uh, that's, so, that's such a nice way to navigate the sites. Um, if you go down and scroll into the bottom of the site, CPS, Chicago Public Schools, has a very similar convention to this resources. Very, very similar. We saw that and thought, that's outstanding. That's a wonderful way to get to the links that we want people to get to based on audience. And we can break this out by clicking on the audience member name. If you go over, click the view our schools once, if you would, Wes. Um, I'll show you that, that kind of uh, right up above, right there. So if you click that, you see that that page rolls out. Um, that adds some interactivity to the site as well, um, an element of interest. But now you can get, a lot of people want, okay, what's the address of the school? What's the direction of the school? A hover over one of those. Yeah, see the little slider pops up, gives you a link to a Google map where you can get directions. Five minutes. Got the warning. Um, so a lot of these elements we pulled from different sites that we saw. And some of them were just novel approaches that our designer came up with and said, this would be cool. Let's try this. Let's try this. Um, as far as the Facebook pages, there are quite a few districts out there who are doing great work. Um, again, um, Dr. Leonard is here in the back. He's from Barrington. Um, they're doing wonderful things with their Facebook page. Um, if you go on the Barrington 220's Facebook page, uh, they have, uh, they're a good model to look at uh, with how they're using it. District 300 has a Facebook page um, that they use uh, well as well. Um, again, um, this is the, the work of, of Jeff, as I mentioned before. Um, very similar thing. So the ideas of linking to news stories, um, linking stories with, with photos, getting people interested in consuming and pushing where people are consuming. What was the other one you said? District 300. Um, does, a, does a nice job as well. So we, we definitely looked at some of those schools. Some things to avoid. Um, I would... I would really recommend, and I know this is not the mentality always of school districts, I would strongly recommend that you look at a content management system for your website. Um, and the reason I say that, I know some people are using Drupal, some people are using Joomla, some people are using free open source um, solutions, and maybe they're working for you well, and that's great. But if they're not, find something that's easy to permission, easy to edit, that the company will provide. And again, Campus Suite was phenomenal. They did not constrain us to any of their designs. They didn't say, you have to fit into our mold. They said, what do you want to do? They even custom built a little JavaScript that, that rolls down that view our schools. All of this, they were very accommodating. So what I would say to avoid would be avoid a, a, a website that is really restrictive, that won't allow you to do the things that you want to do. Uh, because there are great companies out there that are flexible, that will allow you to accomplish your goals, um, and that will meet your needs 
something like this. Again, I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happy with our experience in this company. Um, but I do know I've had experiences in the past with companies that was terribly frustrated. You'd ask for one change, and it would take weeks for them to make the change on a simple page, something very inane that should be very quick. We couldn't do that. We have complete control of every single one of our pages. I control all the links down here. I control the links in the mega menu. I control everything on our site. I can set new pages. I can set permissions. I can say, Wes, you can edit the, the, the home page, and that's it. Um, I can set level permissions like that. Uh, so that's what I would, I would um, certainly say to avoid would be to, uh, to, to avoid something that's too restrictive for you and what you want to do. Anything else? We have the five-minute warning, so if you want to, yeah. I have a couple of questions for the last question. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, I'm very interested in the um, student publishing piece you were talking about. I'm curious, uh, from an intuitive point of view, it makes a lot of sense in terms of student engagement, but are you aware of uh, research on positive education outcomes of publishing? Well, one of my favorite resources, the question was, if you didn't hear it, uh, research on Publishing student work, favorable outcomes, and the research for that. Um, Stephanie Sandifer wrote a great book recently in the last, I want to say, two years, basically taking Marzano and applying it to Web 2.0. So if you Google Marzano Web 2.0 that works, you'll find the wiki that she does. Her book is called Wikified Schools. So typically we're familiar with Marzano and his work, and a lot of the rationale and reasons for understanding why why technology and why publishing um, engage students, you know, go back to basic things. It goes back to time on task and, and some of those kinds of things as far as students um, spending a lot more time having the bar elevated. I was in Hawaii in 2007 for that USS Oklahoma Memorial dedication and got to meet, um, I'm trying to think of her uh, last name, Mrs. Beaver. She's at the Punahou School, incidentally, President Obama's school. Uh, when they were working on their one-to-one -one proposal and when they were working with their board and talking about justifying it, how did they do that? How, how, what did they turn to? Well, they look, at, they look at their mission statement and they look at their purposes, the, the non-technical things about what are we and what's our purpose. But they, they relied on a lot of those Marzano strategies and talking about how, that, how, how differentiated learning and, under, and understanding the research behind providing different options for students um, to both consume and receive content, but then demonstrate their mastery has such a nice connection to you know, concept maps that we're going to do um, for, for brainstorming, um, videos that we're going to do, that we're going to create, a lot of those kind of things. So uh, it would be, that's, that's a good challenge. I'll, I'll try to aggregate some of those resources that will be specific to publishing. As I finish my doctorate and think about my own research, I mean, these are the kinds of action research, you know, in classroom-connected research projects I'd like to see. Has, is anybody else besides Wikified Schools and Stephanie Sandifer have other resources that you'd share on that topic um, about the benefits of classroom publishing and going, I guess, beyond the anecdote, you know, to some, some journal, referee journal articles or things like that? I will take that as a personal challenge. I mean, I've given enough wait time. Does anybody have it? If you do, please share those kind of things because we have different reasons for being persuaded to change what we do. A lot of times I find stories and anecdotes, especially local ones, have a lot of power. 
and we can understand those things without the research and the charts and graphs. But we, we need to turn to those things too and look at what research says. Um, I think tying back to things that we already know and, and, and accept as authoritative, you know, like those classroom strategies that work can be a good way to do that. Um, we're talking about engagement. We're talking about time on task. We're talking about students' perception of the value of their work. You know, if my perception of the value of this assignment, you know, is that it's significant because it's not just going to be shared in our school classroom, but with my family and with our community, you know, that kind of a perception. Again, it's not a magic bullet, uh, but there's, there's a lot of stories. And as you gather those local stories of, did you see what? Susie did and how her father commented or how she got her granddad to come in and leave a comment. I think those are, are things that, again, when the permission forms have been signed and all of the, the confidentiality, intellectual property, you know, boxes are checked. We want to amplify the heck out of those examples because that, those specific stories, I think are one of the most important pieces of helping open eyes to, wow, well, maybe I should think about you know, using these tools or encouraging my students to share. It's so much, so much risk is involved in sharing that stuff uh, publicly. So, have you run into good resources in that regard? Yeah. Good. Well, I'll take that as a as a challenge to see what I can find and share that out. And I'm sure, you know, we we do have different people in higher ed who are participating in social media and, and publishing and blogging. So, we'll put uh, Scott McLeod and John Becker and some other folks that are you know tied to research in higher ed to see what they recommend in that regard too. Any other questions you'd like to ask? I think we're officially five minutes after time. All right, well, thank you all so much for your time and your ideas.